near-death experience podcast, an ongoing exploration of spiritually transformative experiences, including NDEs and other phenomena, in order to elucidate the ineffable and better understand our spirituality. All episodes are available at ndepodcast.org. The views expressed and opinions given by the individual hosts and guests are not necessarily those of NDE Podcast, the NDERF, any sponsors, or for that matter, anyone else. In the end, the only opinion that really matters is yours. Welcome to Near-Death Experience Podcast, the official source of audio accounts for the Near-Death Experience Research Foundation. I'm Chaz Hathaway, author of Life in the Spirit World, What Near-Death Experiences May Teach About Life on the Other Side, and also the composer of the album Home. Today we're going to share the experience of Juanita, and I want to preface this by saying when I first read this, I was just a little bit skeptical, and the only reason that I was skeptical was because everything fell so in line <laughs> with with what we see in near-death experiences. It's and it's not that I didn't believe it per se, but you know, among the red flags that I sometimes um, watch for in you know, it, whether somebody might be making this up or came up with the story in order to, you know, I don't know what they would be doing it for, maybe so that they could write a book and become famous or because whatever. You know, and people ask me a lot of times, how do you know if the person is telling the truth or if they made this up? How do you know? And the fact is, I don't. I don't. And I've kind of gotten to the point where I don't really question it anymore unless there are some serious red flags. I pretty much take them at their word. And so obviously you have to take every near-death experience with a grain of salt. But in the aggregate, I'm just left to think it just it just fits. I don't know. I, I, I have to believe it. I, uh, and And that's kind of what I came to with this one. In fact, there were a few little things in there that made me think this person sounds genuine and sincere. I, I am, uh, I, I, I do believe that this is a real near-death experience, um, and we'll talk more about that after sharing the experience. I just wanted to give that as a, as a preface, uh, because that was my initial thought: is wait a minute, this is really sounding like you know by the book, sort of stuff, but that should be all the more reason to believe it as well. So, anyway, this is the experience of Juanita, and I will say I do believe this to be absolutely a real near-death experience. Juanita says, I was shown my newborn baby boy, felt love for him. Then I blacked out. I could hear the doctors and nurses talking in echoes, and I felt very cold. The echoes stopped, and the and a terribly very unpleasant shrill but rushing noise filled my ears. The noise frightened me. It was unbearable, and I wanted it to stop. I could not determine what was happening to me. 
I was in a dark place, and then became aware that I was in a tunnel lined with multi-fine concentric circles, gray-colored. My body was moving rapidly down the tunnel, feet first. I was aware of my feet, and I was barefoot. But they were not solid, more of a filmy nature. My eyes focused on the beautiful golden light at the end of the tunnel where I was headed. Before I came to the light, I never entered the light, what I presumed to be an angel appeared at my side. By this time, the terrible noise in my ears had stopped. He had no wings, but had shoulder-length light brown hair and a plain white gown. I had never seen this being before in my life. I recall now seeing him at, the f at my side from the waist up only. I do not recall if he glowed. As I pictured him in my mind, he didn't. We communicated by telepathy only, not in words. I did not ask the angel who he was. I just surrendered to the experience, whatever would happen next. The angel being showed me a rapid movie of my life as a kid, a little kid playing, then school, adult, nothing remarkable. No scolding for sins I surely had done, or any lessons mentioned I needed to learn. Only a very quick look. This quick look at my life didn't seem important. And later, as I recalled the whole experience, I wondered why I was even shown this movie. What was the point? Then the angel asked me, Would you like to go back or continue to the light? I interpreted his words, the light as being heaven and God. You can go there if you choose to. After he said that, I thought about my difficult alcoholic husband, my two-and-a-half-year-old firstborn son, Tommy, and the wonderful little boy I had just given birth to. There was no hesitation. I told the angel, I want to go back. My husband needs me and I feel so much love for my two little boys who need me as their mother. Immediately I was aware of being back in the world, waking up full of energy and a most wonderful, inexpressible feeling of joy. I remember trying to raise myself up off the bed, full of energy as I told the nurse, who was smiling and pushing me back down, I feel so good. The nurse replied, you feel so good because we are putting blood back into you. Look at your arm. Then I saw I was receiving a transfusion. We almost lost you, she said. The doctor verified that they had endeavored to resuscitate me and were successful as I was gone for a few minutes. The wonderful feeling soon left, but not the experience of being somewhere near the next world. This was not a dream. It was a real experience. That is the end of the account. But let me read a couple of comments she makes in the, um, in the question and answer section. Okay, at the, to the question, at the time of your experience, was there an associated life-threatening event? She says, yes, surgery, uh, childbirth, clinical death, cessation of breathing or heart function or brain function. That, I think, is probably a multiple-choice answer. But then she goes on and says, 
I had just given birth to my second child, and the doctor laid him on my belly for me to see. A wonderful, loving experience. Then I blacked out. Doctor had cut the episiotomy and told me later that he had unknowingly cut a vein. They had tried finding it, and I bled internally, and that they almost lost me from hemorrhaging. My husband heard the code blue alarm, the nurses and techs running to the room with equipment to get my heart going again and blood transfusions. To the question of what was your religion prior to your experience, she says, moderate raised in Lutheran church, instigated Catholic religion and attending, and then have your religious practices since changed since your experience. She says, yes, I now believe we don't sleep when we die, but go on immediately to the next dimensions. I am also more aware now of angels God sends to help us. I feel that there are so many man-made beliefs in religions, in the religions. I choose to keep a simple spiritual life and stay away from the various denominations with all their conflicting rules, regulations, and beliefs, and often hatred of each other. Uh, She says, what is your religion now? Liberal. No longer belong to any organized religion. I pray often, read Bible and other inspirational books, meditate, and endeavor to be spiritual, having compassion towards my neighbor, and treating others as I would like to be treated. I concentrate my thoughts on God at least every day. And then to the question, what do you believe about the reality of your experience now? She says, experience was definitely real. I can still see in my mind what I experienced. I know there is a hereafter, and that I will one day enter the tunnel again, but next time I shall enter the light. As I grow older, now 70 years old, I think even more about this experience, and that I must spread as much love to others as possible, as perhaps my days on earth may or may not be many more. And that is the end of her account. Now, I mentioned at the beginning, and we'll talk a little bit more about this in a minute, but how um, the only thing that I could find to bring me a little bit of skepticism about this, or I hate to use that word, skepticism, but any shadow of doubt, any red flags, if you will, was that everything lined up so perfectly with what's traditionally near-death experiences that... It was kind of like, mm, they could have just, you know, read Life Before Life and then, and, you know, came up with this. But I, I don't think that's true. And one of the things that tipped me over the edge of absolutely believing this is a real experience was um, when she talks about how she's now 70 years old and about how she feels like her job now is just to spread as much love to others as possible, as perhaps my days on earth may or may not be many more. If she is, I mean, she's not on her deathbed. She's only 70. She might have another 20 or 30 years to go, depending on how long she's going to live. But but I doubt that she's, you know, she's probably not going to write a book about this. She's probably not going to go start touring the world and, you know, do shows about near-death experiences and stuff. I think if she was going to do that, she would have done it long since by now. And this, it sounds like, happened when when she was at least of childbearing years because she was 
giving birth to her second child. And, uh, and so she had decades, decades uh, from the time that she had this experience until she wrote about it. If, uh, and, and I suspect that she probably told people throughout her life about this experience um, in, you know, close personal uh, uh, private situations. But um, it, it, why would a 70-year-old make up such a story? She gives the date of the NDE as November 12th, 1963. She waited decades to tell people about it. No, of course, 63 was before near-death experience term was coined, and it started to become an acceptable idea in general population. <clears throat> Excuse me. This idea of, of seeing the other side and returning to tell about it, that's kind of common today. It still has a stigma about it. It still needs to come out of obscurity a little bit, but uh, it people aren't going to automatically throw you in the loony bin for saying something about it. Back in 63, it was actually common practice if somebody started talking about this kind of thing to say, oh, well, they've got some kind of um, a psychotic episode going on and, and they need to be, you know, institutionalized. And, and uh, that was fairly common. But uh, it's, it, it very much seems to be that this is a real experience. That um, thing that you don't hear, and you don't hear about this very often in near-death experiences, but it was enough to make an entire chapter of the book, Life Before Life, this experience that she has of hearing this loud, annoying, buzzing light. In fact, for her, I mean, not light, it allows noise, um, loud, annoying, buzzing noise. And um, it, it's funny when people come back uh, with different levels of near-death experience experiences, and they say, well, for me, I, I kind of liked it. It sounded like a nice ringing bell. And others are like, no, it's, it, it, it's not like that. It's more like, like uh, you know, this buzzing electrical, you know, uh, uh, overpowering sound, you know, and and others are like, no, it's like a, you know, and they and they argue about it as if they're describing it wrong, as if others are describing it wrong. When I'm under the impression people are simply experiencing different sounds, and but there does seem to be something to having some sound. Some people say just this beautiful music of the stars kind of sound, like as as if the universe itself has a general hum. And others describe a voice um, singing uh, or, or a choir. And, and others, the sound of a bell, like a, you know, the dinging of a bell that just draws on or, or something like that. But um, Juanita describes it as um, unbearable. And, uh, and it frightens her, honestly. But it passes. And she finds herself in blackness, or at least a dark space, as she says. Um, and then she becomes aware of a tunnel with, as she describes it, multi-fine concentric circles, gray-colored, which is a beautiful description of the tunnel, uh, a fairly common uh, description with kind of cloud 
uh, circles or something to that effect. Um, and gray is a common color for the tunnel. There are other colors, but that's a common one. Um, and then she's flying feet first. That seems to be very common first. It sounds odd to anyone who, you know, is picturing flying upward toward the stars or the sun, flying feet first. You're flying upside down? What? You know, <laughs> but this is often described this way, and, and it feels more like they're going sideways down this tunnel, feet first, and even her feet being described as not solid, but of a filmy nature. That's a wording I've not heard, but it still fits the uh, description of as if being made of light or perhaps uh, see-through, um, sometimes described as translucent or, or transparent and so forth, kind of interesting, or even um, appearing as just pure energy, something to that effect. Uh, she says that my eyes focused on a beautiful golden light at the end of a tunnel, of the tunnel where I was headed. That was, that whole description is what kind of put my mind in a, in a state to, uh, to say, mm, we'll see, you know. And, and that's as far as it got, because after that, going on with the experience, I was like, yeah, no, I think this is legit. But um, I no longer have doubt. I, I, I have every reason to think this is real. And uh, she describes um, her life, um, life review in an interesting manner. She is surprised at how unremarkable it is. She's not scolded for anything that just rushes by quickly. It's, it's almost like pointless. She's thinking about it later. She's like, why did they even show me that? What was the point? There was nothing remarkable about it at all. And then she's immediately asked, do you want to go back? To which she replies, yes, yes, I need to go back to be with my son, to help my husband, her son's and and husband and so forth and i'm left to think perhaps that life review being so unremarkable is exactly what nudged her to want to go back which seems weird except that you think about as a spirit it, it, from what i've read we are hungry for experience for learning for for serving and blessing and loving we we need it we need it so badly it's like a it's it's like we're starving without it and to see an unremarkable life review basically looking at her life and saying you really haven't done anything special could be an incredible motivator for a spirit to say i got to go back and do all the great things that i that i I've always wanted to do or or that that you know are going to make um, this life worth living I mean is an unremarkable life worth living and on the surface I would say yes absolutely in the sense that you know what we think of as unremarkable is often not what spirits see as unremarkable because an act of kindness a, 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 a gentle arm around the shoulder to someone who's struggling is incredibly remarkable. But she only describes things as being unremarkable or not nothing remarkable about them. She doesn't say what things she saw that she saw as being 
unremarkable. And it could be that she lived a very normal life, perhaps even a seemingly meaningful life from a mortal perspective, but from a spiritual perspective, perhaps it was not. Perhaps it was from, in spiritual terms, she had maybe, you know, done all these wonderful things in mortal life, but had not really done much to serve, not really done much to think about other people, not really done much to, to grow and advance herself. And if that's the case, even if she did have a remarkable, you know, uh, high school experience, remarkable college experience in terms of successes and things like that, that might seem terribly unremarkable to a spirit. Now, all of that is just, you know, my own thoughts. It, she doesn't say anything about what was so unremarkable about her life. So I, it's, it may not even be fair for me to say that, but I just give it as as a possible reason for her to want to come back so bad. It's because her life was so unremarkable. She Maybe she wanted in that time, she's like, of course I got to go back. I've got a husband and children who need me. I have a chance to serve them. I've got to go back and do it. And so that could be part of the reason, which kind of reflects a little bit on what she describes at the end about how this is absolutely real, this experience that she had. She And she says that I must spread as much love to others as possible as perhaps my days on earth may or may not be many more. So to her, by age 70, she feels that her purpose, her whole being on earth is to love, spread as much love to others as possible. So, if you would like to support the podcast, you can do so by either purchasing my book, Life in the Spirit World, or uh, purchasing my album, Home, both of which can be found on neardeathexperiencepodcast.org. And I would like to mention briefly, because it has come up as a question to me often, the music for this show is from that album, Home. And yes, it is original music that I wrote, and it, the uh, piece is called The Angel Children. So if you're wondering where the music came from, that's where it came from. You can also support the podcast by going to our Patreon page, which is patreon.com slash ndepodcast. And with that, thank you so much again, you guys, for listening.